Money FM 89.3, best of the breakfast huddle. The weekly wrap on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. Good Friday morning to you. It's The Breakfast Huddle with Elliot Danka, Bharati Jagdish and Ryan Huang. Time now to take a look at the most talked about headline this week. Mm. And it's all about how much one would need to support a basic standard of living in Singapore. Apparently, a family of four, for instance, needs $6,426 a month for a basic standard of living. Now, if you haven't looked at the study yet and you want to in order to assess whether or not those numbers are accurate by your own measurements, you should pick it up. It's called What People Need in Singapore, a Household Budget Study. This year, of course, 2021. Lots of people running their own polls based on this study on uh, platforms like uh, Facebook or even Instagram. I'm sure you have your thoughts about how much you really need to meet that basic standard of living here in Singapore. But let's find out more about the findings from one of the six authors of this study. Dr. Ng Kok Ho, Senior Research Fellow, Head Case Study Unit and Social Inclusion Project, Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy at the National University of Singapore. Dr. Um, a good morning to you. How are you? Good morning, Elliot and Dorothy. Very happy to join our show. So the study is called What People Need in Singapore, a Household Budget Study. Uh, you guys use the Minimum Income Standard Research Method. This originated in the United Kingdom. What else can you tell us about the methodology of this study? This is a reliable method, is what I'll say. The team assessed it very carefully before we started. We took into account that it had the, the method travels well across different countries and cultural contexts. So apart from the UK, it's also used in France, Portugal, South Africa, Mexico, and closer to home, uh, Japan and Thailand. So in the UK, we noticed that it has been used to set a living wage for UK employees. And it's also incorporated in a new measure of poverty that the UK government has said they will start to monitor. Uh, we visited researchers using this method in the UK. We observed them at work. We flew them over and they observed us and gave guidance. We piloted and, and adapted the method. So uh, we, we did consider it very carefully before starting. However, Dr. Ng, the Ministry of Finance has flagged issues with your report. It says that those of us reading it should bear in mind the limitations of the approach you used. I'm sure you're aware of some of the issues they brought up. Uh, for instance, they said that you considered mortgage payments for flats an expenditure item, while playing down the point that the non-interest parts of the payments can be seen as savings, actually, that can help households build housing equity. Of course, they also raised several other points. What do you have to say to that? I mean, the fact that also that there are errors in certain assumptions uh, which understate the amount of government subsidies and financial support that is given to low-income families. So we are aware of the statement and I think um, a number of the points stem from a misunderstanding of the method. So one of the things they flagged, for example, as you mentioned, uh, was that uh, we put a uh, downplay the, the kind of savings aspect of housing that is in fact invested. Actually, we don't downplay it. We completely disregard it. And that's because the study doesn't measure income and saving, right? The study is about what people need. It's not about how they'll pay for them. So housing as an asset will become an income source later in life. And, and that's great, but it doesn't change the amount that people have to pay for, for housing currently. Something else they flagged was, was the uh, diversity of the group. So they mentioned, for example, that 15% of our participants were from private housing. Well, actually, in Singapore's general population, about 21% of Singaporeans are in private housing. So we are underrepresented in that segment, right? 
And they also omitted to mention that 18% of our participants were in fact from HDB public rental housing, more than participants from private housing. So in fact, lower income uh, participants from HDB public rental housing were the ones who were overrepresented in our study. And that's because our average group size is 8 persons, right? So to have one or two participants from either private housing or HDB public rental housing, you will already be in excess of 10%. Mm, all fair points, Doctor. And, you know, fair enough. As I said, I, I have friends who are running their own polls based on your research paper on their on their Instagram page. Uh, and, and we see, uh, in a sense, a very negative, uh, and, and if you don't mind me saying this, a very negative uh, receiving of, of this number of 6,000 plus, right? I do want to dial things really far back and talk simply about what constitutes a basic standard of living when we look at this. Our discussions all begin from a definition of basic standard of living and and this definition itself was produced by earlier focus groups. And in those earlier focus groups, the participants agreed. It was not controversial among the participants that in Singapore today, a basic standard of living must go beyond subsistence living, it must go beyond survival. So people say, obviously, housing, food and clothing, but where a wealthy society is not acceptable to, to stop at that. Uh, but that a more reasonable definition of basic must include things like opportunities to work and to education. And we also stress intangible aspects of a basic standard of living. They talked about belonging, respect, security and independence. They talked about uh, the ability to, to take part in social, cultural and religious activities. And all of these things, so this wording and language came from earlier focus groups. Uh, they stressed that this must today in Singapore go into a definition of basic. Mm. Some might say, you know, this is an argument between uh, those who are ideological and the others who prefer to take a technocratic approach to determining what is basic and how much do you really need in order to thrive, not just survive in a country. Uh, What's your argument to that? I mean, which is the better approach? What is the balance? Well, of course, very glad that I didn't know (laughs) happening online, so Ellie is more up to date than, than I am. <laughs> we, 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 we do want this study to, to generate discussion and, and for people to think about their own circumstances in relation to it. Perhaps the, we do think of this approach as ideological, maybe to some extent it is conceptual, because uh, like I said, it, it starts from the definition. Right? But if we technocratic, we mean having experts decide what people need. Then, then I do agree. That's what we consciously want to avoid. In fact, this method, when it was first you know, pioneered in the UK, you know, more than a decade ago, it is to precisely provide an alternative. Having experts say, you need this, you don't need that. And this, so this is the basket of basic needs because I experts say so and this is how much the basket costs and so this is what we use. I mean, experts are fine maybe in areas like nutrition and vaccination and so on. But when it comes to more social aspects of spending, I don't know if that's an expert on whether people should be allowed to, to wear perfume and, and how much is reasonable to put in, a, in an angpao or a festival, right? That there are no experts in this domain. So this method says, let's talk to ordinary members of public, have them agree, have them debate, and then we challenge them to produce rationales. And if they can agree, then that goes into the basket. 
Okay, okay. I think it's a fair, fair point that you bring up, Doctor, and I like how you have helped to sort of align the how, how you should receive this by saying it's very conceptual. Um, one thing that stood out for me was that a single elderly person needs $1,421 a month to meet basic standards of living. I, I want to expand on this, or if you could help me out here. I mean, what does it mean for a lot of people in the sandwich group? Uh, we are in an aging population, and there is going to be that worry that this number could could increase. What did the findings say? So this number is in fact an update from the previous edition of the study that we published in 2019. Uh, this time around for the elderly budget, we updated it based on price inflation. So it went up slightly. The concern with the elderly uh, generation is always demography, right? So we know that the CPF produces an amount that is not enough for mm. them to, to meet their basic needs. Yeah. So the strategy has long been for, for elderly people, adult children, to provide for their needs. I mean, I've been studying this area, CPF income, for some time. And in fact, the pillar of retirement income security in Singapore is not CPF, but adult children. Right. Yeah. So the concern here is very much as you as you have put it, the sandwich generation, because elderly people in the future are going to have fewer adult children, and many of them will not have any children. Yeah. So the report flags this concern that we do need to reinforce our retirement income system. Uh, and in fact, go back even earlier. Uh, make sure wages are adequate. Make sure people are paid decently, so that they are able to pay for retirement. Speaking of wages, I mean, recently several measures have been taken to help with social spending in order to help those who need help, financial help, as well as wages uh, with the progressive wage model being enhanced and widened as well. Uh, to what extent are these measures enough? Are, are they at least a good beginning and how do they need to be developed further in order to make a real dent here? Uh, wages is really key. So in our report, we flag that, I mean, we say that money must come from somewhere, right? So it's either wages or state support. Right? So even if we say family, family's money must come from right? the state or the market. So so wages is key. I, I know the figure of 6,000 odd has been highlighted headline, so it's, uh, it's a distracting one. But the study produced many different calculations, right? So about 70% of households have work incomes above the level already, and 70% of households have work incomes above the level that they need. And when we look at households with children at different ages and then deduct government benefits, the average that two children households need for a basic standard of living actually falls below $6,000. And if we divide that between two earners, then each earner must earn $2,906. That for us is a much more important figure. And that's uh, a starting point we we recommend for talking about a living wage in Singapore. So for, for adults with two children, each parent must earn $2,906 for that family to be able to meet basic needs. This number, if you take away CPF, the gross is 2484, is below 2,500. The median is, in fact, 56% higher. I don't know, but most Singaporeans realize how how high earning of society already is. Uh, But PWM, as already highlighted, uh, falls uh, grossly short. It's about 40 to 50% short of this, this amount. So this is the figure that we hope we, we can start discussing as a society. A decent wage uh, that allows households to meet their basic needs. Oh yeah, that discussion is going to continue for a long time more. And I'm really glad that we've had this conversation. That We've been speaking with Dr. Ng Kok Ho, who is Senior Research Fellow, Head Case Study Unit and Social Inclusion Project, Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy at the National University of Singapore. Dr. Ng, thank you for your time this morning. You take care and stay safe. Thank you.
To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.